Pod save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen, the Daily Mirror's royal podcast. I'm here with Victoria Murphy, the Daily Mirror's royal correspondent. Hello. Uh, And I'm Anne Gripper, which I always forget to say at the beginning, but it's probably useful to tell our new listeners. um, Welcome to you and welcome back to our subscribers. It's always good to have you with us. And two big days are getting ever closer. Um, We're probably watching our phones during uh, during this podcast just in case the baby news comes through because... It really will be any day. It really will be any yeah. day. And the parking restrictions have gone up outside the Lindo Wing. Exactly. So I popped down yesterday morning just to take a little look as the parking restrictions went up. Um, this is obviously, you know, the first sort of indication that something is expected to happen any day. Um, they, they went up with George and Charlotte as well. Interestingly, for, for different periods. So for George, the restrictions were in place for the whole month of July. And for Charlotte, they only blocked off initially a two-week window. However, they ended up having to extend it, which is another reason everyone knew that she was born late, because clearly she wasn't expected to be born after the initial parking restrictions were put in place for. Um, And this time they've gone for probably very sensibly a three-week window, so April the 9th until April the 30th. So we are expecting the baby to be born. I think they will have learned from Charlotte to give themselves a little bit extra time at the end. So I'd be very surprised if it then ended up going into May, as Charlotte did. So we've got a three-week window. Um, The Kensington Palace hasn't announced the due date. Um, There's been a lot of speculation the baby is due on the 23rd of April, St George's Day. I suspect, um, actually, that the baby's due a little bit earlier than that because I think, given what happened with Charlotte, they wouldn't actually have only given themselves a week after her due date. Um, I think they would have given themselves a little bit longer. So I think we're looking at somewhere in between that three-week window. Oh, we should have bets. Mm, yeah, the problem is babe, when babies are due, it's not, it's not <laughs> when they're going to be born. So I think that's the tricky thing. And, and we do know with both George and Charlotte, they were born after their due dates. So, so let's see. I'm still convinced it'll be um, later in the month. So um, St George's Day is the national day of England, England's patron saint, for those who, who aren't aware. Um, we've obviously got William and Kate's wedding anniversary on the 29th as another potential interesting date yeah. for stuff to be happening. We also have the Queen's birthday, which is April the 21st. She'll be 92 this year. Oh, favourite great-granddaughter forever that if you manage to do be, that. Or grandson. We or don't grandson. know if they're oh, having yeah. a boy or a girl. Good point. Yeah. And Good also, point. interestingly, um, the, the couple don't know. So alongside the, the parking restrictions going up, there was a little bit of information that we were able able to discuss at that point about how things will unfold when the baby is born. We were also told, um, again, for the third time, William and Kate don't know if they're having a boy or a girl. Um, And little bits of information about how we will hear more. So the the first thing that we will hear now is an announcement that the Duchess has been admitted to hospital. That will be the first announcement that comes. And then the second announcement will be the announcement the baby's been born, including the sex, the weight and the time of birth. And then there's a possibility that there may be some visitors, depending how long she stays in. Obviously, with Charlotte, she didn't have any visitors, apart from Prince George went to see her. Which was very, very sweet. Which was so sweet, yeah. And and actually, was that probably for the benefit, really, of everyone being able to see him? Because they were whisked home to Kensington Palace as soon as he left. So, you know, George could have waited at Kensington Palace, but it was nice that they took the opportunity for William to bring him to the hospital. 
Um, but with with Prince George's birth, she did have a few more visitors because she was in overnight. So depending on how this birth goes, what time she's admitted, what time the baby's born, how the labour goes, we might see some visitors to the hospital. And then the next thing that will happen is that they will obviously leave the hospital with the baby, at which point there'll be an opportunity for a photograph. That's what everyone wants to see. They'll go back to Kensington Palace and then perhaps in a day or two, maybe a little bit longer, there'll be the announcement of the name. So that's how things will unfold. What we've been told is that they're going to try and and help us all out a little bit and not make announcements um, after 10am or before 9am in the morning. After 10pm. 10pm, sorry, after 10pm or before 9am in the morning. So, But of course there will be exceptions to that. You know, if she's rushed into hospital at 11pm it's a tricky one it's it's will they be able to not say anything until 9am I don't know so depending on the timings but they're going to endeavour in a bid really to avoid people feeling that they have to be there round the clock in case an announcement's made at 12 o'clock at night so they're going to try not to do that and it is also that thing as well you know we live in a world of rolling news cycles on the tv social media everybody's got a camera phone you know would how easy would it be for them to keep that information to themselves yeah because there's always the possibility that when she is admitted to hospital somebody a member of the public or somebody will see her go in so if she's gone in and someone's seen it it's going to be very difficult for them to keep saying no 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 it'd be much easier for them just to say yes she has gone in regardless of what, what time of day it is um but but th- th- i think they're trying to keep things as calm as possible as ordered as possible and you know it's interesting because when I was at the Lindo Wing um, it was very empty um, there was no one down there yet and I, I think that's a sign that people are not getting too overexcited just yet I think if she I think if it goes into next week and she hasn't had the baby I think that we'll see more and more of a presence kind of building but I, I think unlike with George and Charlotte it's perhaps just a little bit a little bit more calm, which is definitely a good thing. And and I was talking actually to um, a colleague of mine who I work with regularly on the Royal Beat, um, Simon Perry. He covers the Royals for US magazine People, and we were chatting yesterday. So we know there were at least two people outside the window wing yesterday. We were so- there very very briefly. Honestly. <laughs> so let's have a, let's have a little listen to your chat with Simon. So I am outside the window wing. Um, one of the only people outside the Lindo Wing today, um, as the parking restriction signs have gone up ahead of the birth of the third royal baby. Um, it's not surprising there's not many people down here. It's really miserable weather, horrible, rainy weather. Um, the parking restrictions have gone up today, April the 9th, and they are in place until April the 30th. So that's a three-week window during which time we would expect the baby to be born. Um, but there is no... Kensington haven't announced a due date yet. Um, now... I'm here with another another reporter who has come down to just to have a look at the parking signs as they've gone up. Um, and Simon, we were just talking, weren't we, about how different this scene today is to what it was like much closer to the births of George and Charlotte. You were here for both of those. Tell us yes. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, George was... Um, that was the case of the great Kate Waite, wasn't it? The first one where the, the parking restrictions went up and almost immediately uh, reporters and TV crews and camera uh, photographers came down here and were almost here, uh, here for almost two weeks, I think, two to three weeks leading up to the July 22nd day uh, when he was born. Um, this time, yeah, they've made it a little more relaxed uh, in terms of we don't 
uh, they've made rules so that we can't come down here uh, until uh, Kate is in the hospital and in labour, which is, is good from all points of view in that uh, the hospital can get on with its business and we can get on with our business until yeah. until the big day. Yeah, um, and also interestingly, um, the fans um, who will come and kind of camp out um, and, and sleep in tents overnight outside the hospital. The super fans, we call them, people who follow the royal family. I mean, they're not here, which I think is a really good thing because some of them are quite elderly and it's horrible weather and it's freezing, well, it's not freezing cold, but it's cold. So it's nice to see that everyone seems to be a bit calmer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember last time when, uh, just before Charlotte was born, uh, there were a, a good gaggle of about six or seven of diehard uh, fans who were here most days on the bench behind us here. And... Uh, uh, William and Kate's office sent down some croissants and coffee, I think it was, uh, for them to, to refuel them yeah. uh, halfway uh, with a day or so to go, if I remember right. I think it was one of their birthdays. And something. I remembered that because the, the ribbon was pink. And I remember it yeah. sent everyone into a frenzy thinking that they, that they were sending a signal about having a girl. I think that's because nothing else is happening. Yeah. Everyone was getting very overexcited. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> reporters will fasten on to any little clue. Um, and yeah. maybe it was a clue because, of course, Charlotte was born... Um, soon afterwards, uh, lovely little girl, so um, it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, what pops out this time. I'm sure we're going to be doing lots more reporting from Melinda Wing, but for now, um, we will see you later. So it's an interesting um, memories of it, and it, clearly it's, I mean, it's in quite a busy part of town, so if, if, the, if there was a bit of traffic in the background there, yes. for, for our <laughs> listeners, sorry if it, if it was interfering, but you know, what, give, us a, give us an idea of the scene there, um, I mean, when we see it in pictures, we just really see the the front of the hospital what's what is it like where is it tell us a bit more yeah it's a very busy working nhs hospital um in a very busy part of london and there's a street running outside the hospital which cars can drive down that goes in between the main hospital building and the lindo wing and the lindo wing is actually a private wing of the NHS hospital. So even though St Mary's Paddington is NHS, which means obviously anyone can get treated there for free, plenty of people have their babies there on the NHS, they also offer a service for people who want to pay and have private treatment, and they go into the Lindo Wing. So the Lindo Wing, you'll get private obstetricians, gynaecologists, midwives operating their services from there. It's a very good option for people who want to have the private birth but they want to be in next to a big NHS hospital because obviously a lot of private hospitals are standalone sites and I think for a lot of people the worry is what if you need the bigger services from if, something, the, goes if wrong. something goes wrong exactly and so the Lindo Wing is very popular for that reason because they've obviously got all the huge NHS facilities right across the way so Kate has chosen the Lindo Wing for George and for Charlotte, there was a lot of speculation that she might have a home birth this time. Now, it, it just doesn't make sense for her to do that because, you know, I think they're very aware that people do want to see them come out of the hospital. And she did have two... She had two very straightforward natural births with George and Charlotte. So indications are that she may have and a third straight, straightforward natural birth, in which case a home birth could be an option for her, but she's decided not to take that route. However, with Charlotte, she did a lot of her labour at home and was only admitted to hospital at the very last minute. So it's very possible that we'll see something similar. She clearly wants to be in her home environment for as long as possible and then just go to the hospital to actually give birth. And obviously, she has the luxury of knowing that that's logistically possible, which I think a lot of people maybe be worried about the traffic, getting to the hospital later, but she's, you know, let's face it, not going to have to worry about that kind of thing so they can get the motorbikes yeah. out and 
clear the way? Or? Yeah, they can clear the way, exactly. Um, they go in a convoy. And Kensington Palace is not that far either, which is a good thing. So the team delivering the baby, now she's had the help of midwives. We know that she's had to help with midwives. The midwives have never actually been named. However, we do know the names of a couple of them because she actually met one not very long ago at an official engagement and she spoke to this midwife. And uh, So she's had the help of midwives and then she's also had the Queen's um, obstetrician, Guy Thought Beeston and Alan Farthing, who are the royal team who will be present, will be involved, help deliver Prince George and Princess Charlotte. She's got a brilliant team of people around her, so she doesn't have to worry at all about having the best care, which is, you know, a lovely position to be in for her. It doesn't come cheap, though, does it? No, the, the Linda Wing private births is several thousand pounds to give birth there. And if you're looking at the continuity of care right from the beginning of your pregnancy... I think it's somewhere in the region of certainly more than ten thousand pounds to have to have a delivery there. So it's not something that everyone can afford. And then you get a bit of debate. So um, one of our colleagues, Kevin Maguire, who is less a fan of you know less a fan of the royals, he thinks yeah. it should be the end of the monarchy and and um, you know become a republic. And he's he started his own podcast this week called Not the Royal Wedding. Yeah. So if you have a republican in your life who can't stand your royal obsession, then send send them that way instead. But you know, he said them going for the Lindo wing is proof that the NHS isn't good for good enough for them, and they're not like yeah. us. How do you see it? I think that's interesting, and I, I, I think it is hard to reconcile, really, because they they make there's a lot of noise about them wanting to be ordinary, wanting to give their children ordinary upbringing, but yet so many things about their daily lives are not ordinary. In the same way, George goes to a fee-paying school in London. He doesn't go to an ordinary school, a local school. I I think, to be fair to them, I think the, the tricky thing sometimes is logistics as well, because with private hospitals, with private schools, it's probably a bit easier for them to have a more controlled environment without disrupting larger services and that's something that they're always trying to do in terms of security and in terms of privacy so and you know, I, I kind of think actually that if Kate had I think if they'd stayed in Norfolk for schooling I think George might have gone to a state primary school not sure about secondary but state primary because he went to a very ordinary nursery they didn't go to a fancy nursery for well-off families or anything but I think now that they're in London, I, I think that that has changed. And I think it's about control. I think it's about controlling the environment and being able to control the security and the privacy and knowing the people that you're dealing with and the people in the department can be vetted, which I think is a lot more difficult to do in an NHS setting, in a larger ward, in a large department. Would they take over a whole ward of an NHS hospital, perhaps, depriving other patients of the opportunity to, to use it? You know, would they take over NHS? It's just, it's just very difficult, whereas you can see the smaller private ward can, can be more controlled. So to give them the benefit of the doubt, I think that, that, is, that is one big factor in their decision making is that is control basically and then maybe if you know if they went if they did go down that route you'd also get people saying well the taxpayer pays you an income and then you're you're going to an nhs hospital and using their services and maybe. being another drain on the taxpayer that way yeah and let, and you have to be honest i mean we have we, the system that we have we have a royal family they're never going to get treated like every other NHS patient, are they? And, and people might dislike that as well. So so I, I think we probably have to say, you know, if we're going to have a royal family, then 
that there are going you probably have to accept that there are going to be things about when they do things that are going to have to be different and you know the, there's huge interest in this birth there's going to be media outside waiting for her to emerge it's to, to pretend it's a completely normal scenario is, is just unrealistic really and the baby will be fifth in line to the throne if i can't counted correctly yes. on my fingers the baby will be fifth in line to the throne uh, bumping prince harry down to six which i think he'd be very happy about and also interestingly this will be if this baby is born a boy it will be the first royal baby who was born a boy who will not usurp his older sister in the line of succession because the law was changed after George was born to mean that men, boy babies, do not take precedence over women in the line of succession. So whereas previously, if this child had been a boy, would have overlapped Princess Charlotte and he would have been fourth and she would have been fifth, but now she will stay fourth whatever the sex of this baby. I know, exactly. It was a long time coming. So... I know when you were down at the Lindo wing with um, Simon, you also chatted a bit about Harry and Meghan, because why wouldn't you? Because the day is getting ever closer. Um, There's obviously some announcements yesterday as well, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, let's first hear what you and what you and he, he discussed about Meghan and Harry. People magazine is um, obviously, for those of you who don't know, we know we have a lot of American listeners, but for people in Britain, it's a, um, one of the biggest magazines, biggest US magazines. Roughly, sort of how many readers would you have, do you know? We're doing uh, about 50 million online and in the magazine at the moment. Wow, OK. So probably the biggest yes, magazine Yes, a lot America, of people covering the royals like the magazine. And um, you, you do a lot of stuff on the royals, actually, don't you? Um, and actually, um, uh, Meghan and Harry are on the cover of this week's edition and you got a little bit of insight into their relationship so tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes we do, uh, we're very excited to have uh, Meghan and Harry back on the cover, they're regularly appearing at the moment on our cover which is uh, exciting for our readers and for us, we enjoy telling their story. Um, yeah we're talking a lot of this week about the sorts of uh, sort of girl that uh, Harry likes in Meghan, all the sort of person that she is. Um, she's a strong woman with her own opinions and that's something that people have been telling us is something that Harry really likes about her uh, there's many things he likes about her I'm sure but that's one thing that's standing out that, that she's bringing to him and his and their relationship and he's happy for her to have her own views and her opinions and they want to take that forward and make make a new life together with 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 a strong personality on both sides, which is which yeah, is I think exciting. that's interesting. So that like because I think we, we, you know Harry is quite a strong personality mm. as well. So it's interesting that we've got the two strong personalities. But it seems like from what you're hearing, he's very happy to, in some areas, kind of let her take take the lead and to, to maybe be the more outspoken one, which is really really nice really interesting yeah it um, is it is I mean they both said that they're both feminists which is fun they are on, 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 on meetings out and about that we've, we've come across in the last few months and also I think I've, no, I've noticed as many have that how he's been happy for her to take the lead in conversations isn't he with um, with members of the public or at the forum when there she was confidently sitting among the four of them on the stage and very happy to speak up and speak clearly and 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 so on with her own opinion on what what she sees them doing in the future so um yeah it's becoming quite clear already even you know before they're married Mm, i wonder if some of that confidence comes from the fact that she hasn't grown up in the uk with that maybe sense of deference towards the royal family that perhaps some people in the uk have um so she said herself in her engagement interview that she was more 
you know, she hadn't grown up following every twist and turn in that a lot of people in the UK have done. Um, and I, I just think it's interesting because she's obviously American who's lived in Canada, so she kind of brings something very different to the royal family because of that. And obviously, a lot of your readers are Americans. Uh, I mean, yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, she does. Uh, I think the Ameri- the confidence thing is probably, I mean, imagine from her background in that she's been acting or been around acting since she was a teenager and um, uh, she clearly is very good at expressing herself, knows what she wants to say and how to say it and say it clearly. So it's, a lot of that is put down to that. But um, you're right, I think the uh, sure, sure-footedness, as it were, comes from the fact that, yeah, she doesn't, she's not, maybe not as daunted in the same way that a, uh, a, another young woman, say, British-born, would have, would have felt around members of the royal family. Um, that's not, I think she still respects the whole institution. She's not, she's not disrespectful. Yeah, she's probably she's, still a bit nervous around the Queen, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and probably a father-in-law, but a prospective father-in-law, yeah. but, um, yeah, I, don't, I think she's just taking it in her stride so far, it seems. Right. That was interesting to get the American view there. And then it was probably while you were down chatting with Simon, really, that Harry and Meghan were making the latest announcement about some of their wedding details. And we talked last week about this sort of drip feed of information and them controlling, control, you know, controlling how it all comes out and um, catch up with that episode. It's the Easter Easter episode, but hidden in there is quite a lot of, um, of wedding chat as ever. Um, but... They would have planned to do that on the day that the parking restrictions went up, right? To- yeah, very possibly. they are definitely got an eye on how they can control the message and get us all talking about the things they want us to talk about because they weren't very keen on the parking restrictions being a media moment, which you know inevitably they were always going to be of interest. But the- Meghan and Harry have announced that they don't want wedding presents instead they want charity donations this is not a surprise is it that would be very surprising if they had done anything other than this i think i really want a toaster come on yeah. what <laughs> exactly awful. exactly and this is following in the footsteps of william and kate actually because william and kate did a similar thing however there was one difference William and Kate set up a wedding fund and people donated directly to the fund and then that was distributed among charities that they had selected whereas Meghan and Harry have asked people to donate directly to the charities much more sensible idea quite frankly logistically much more straightforward involves far less bureaucracy and so the charities really will hopefully receive donations depending on how guests and how members of the public feel about the causes and and what they want to donate interestingly none of the charities they chose seven none of them were ones that harry is already patron of i think that's probably because if you choose one patronage do you have to choose them all it's a bit of a minefield really so they've stood clear of that there's clear input from megan as well i'll read them out to you you've got the children's hiv association obviously hiv and aids is a very important cause for prince harry got crisis national homeless charity that's an interesting one because there's been a lot of talk about homeless people being moved on or potentially moved on around windsor for the royal wedding so the fact that they have given such recognition to a homeless charity it maybe does send a little bit of a message there that they see this as a cause that should be supported 
Um, something called the Mina Mahila Foundation. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Mahila Foundation. It's an organisation based in Mumbai that helps empower women, offers them employment and helps to break cultural taboos around things like menstrual hygiene. Uh, Megan went to visit them, she did some work with them and she wrote about, about the charity. So that's very much her influence there. We know that she's very interested in women's rights and, and wants to make that one of her charitable focuses. We've got Scotty's Little Soldiers, a military charity supporting children who have been bereaved while their parents have been served in the armed forces. It was always going to be a military element to the charities, something that we know is, is so close to Harry's heart. Street Games, an organisation who they went to see together on one of their visits in Nottingham, I believe it was, uh, looking at helping young people, maybe vulnerable young people, to get involved in activities uh, to help get them on the right track. Young People Again is going to be a big charitable focus of Meghan and Harry's. Surfers Against Sewage is an interesting one. Is Hol- it, holidays in Rock. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a marine conservation body. Uh, again, conservation and the environment is something that's important to the world, so I think that was probably put in there for a bit of balance to give us something that demonstrates that charitable interest. And then the Wilderness Foundation which helps teenagers from urban communities to learn about the great outdoors and it gives them rural employment opportunities. So a really nice mix there of different charitable focuses, different organisations, and also something that they said that they wanted to do was draw attention in some cases to smaller charities that would, wouldn't would maybe get the volume of donations without something like this. Because I would... I recognise two names on that list. I, I recognise Crisis and I recognised Surface Against Sewage and that's because, partly because I'm from Cornwall where it's yeah. a huge a huge deal and where William and Harry have been on holiday. The only really well-known one is Crisis, yeah. And, so. and the, I think the other interesting thing about um, people donating direct to the charities is they'll then have a direct relationship with the charity so it can potentially have a more become something more long-term for the charities rather than just a one-off bump from yeah. from um, the wedding. It completely makes sense. It also allows people to pinpoint the cause that they're interested in. So if you have a wedding fund, people may want more of their money to go to a certain cause and they obviously won't have control over that. So this makes a lot more sense. But I think it was probably done because potentially they maybe realised that the wedding fund caused a lot of kind of logistical situations when they did it with William and Kate what why why create that when you can do this instead and uh, there was another mention again for reflecting our shared values which is which is yeah. a reliable reliable yeah. moment in all the press releases <laughs> coming out which still makes me smile um Harry and Meghan have been out and about again since we went since we last spoke um it felt quite low-key the Invictus visit I think somehow um whether it's because we're seeing her quite a lot whether it's because um, I mean, her her outfit was lovely, but I'm desperate for her to wear some colour. Yeah. I wear bright colours, so maybe that's just me, but it was kind of a petrol green and cream and black. I think it's the deliberate kind of understatement of the visual to try and make it more about the cause, make it more substantial, kind of take move away from this image of her as somebody who, as an actress, was very glamorous, was very dressed up and trying to take it right down and rebrand as we've discussed before it's interesting because Megan's appearances at charity events are becoming a lot more normalised and that's happened really very quickly actually and I, I don't know if it's because there aren't the same implications with William and Kate but I feel like the hype about Kate making public appearances did go on for quite a bit longer but that may have been because she was doing far less initially so every appearance is much more of a novelty but with Meghan and Harry they're very much kind of out there doing stuff and 
uh, so while people are really excited to see them, it's definitely each each appearance is, da- is down a notch because of the frequency of them. But yeah, it was a, ni- a nice event. She confirmed at the event that she is going to be going to Australia to see the Invictus Games with Prince Harry in October. I mean, of course she was going to go, as if they wouldn't have gone together to that. But it was nice to hear it straight from her that she's definitely going to be supporting that. It was the first overseas tour that has been confirmed for them now. Nice there may be for our Australian listeners as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And Australia is a hugely important country to the royal family, the Commonwealth realm. Charles is there at the moment on tour. Uh, the Queen obviously doesn't do overseas travel anymore, but she went many, many times in her reign because, of course, she's head of state there. And Charles will be head of state there, and William will be head of state there. So. so is that likely to be their first royal tour, or do you think they'll fit in a little one before that? I think they might squeeze a little one in before because I think they'll be quite keen to get going. I think the wedding's in May. I think we could see something in June or July. Unlikely to see anything in August. August is usually a very quiet month for the royals. But we have had tours in July before, so I think that could be on the cards. Interesting to see. Um, so you mentioned Charles and Camilla are in Australia. Happy anniversary to yeah, the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall yesterday. 13 years already. Mm. Um, we had a look back on Camilla's outfits. I forgot she wore two. But, um, <laughs> two weddings. Yeah, clearly, apparently, all, all royal brides seem to wear two these days. All, re- all normal brides. Well, a lot of normal brides do wear two as well, don't they? I didn't. No, I danced didn't. all night. Yeah. It's amazing. But... Um, what have they been up to down in down in Australia? Well, interestingly, they spent their wedding anniversary apart because it was a week-long tour of Australia, but Camilla actually only went for the first three days. So she went to open the Commonwealth Games. Now, that that's, you know, it's interesting because there was, there was a lot of kind of discussion about the fact that she was only going for three days. She doesn't like flying. She's not a brilliant traveller. Usually when they go on royal tours, she will travel out a little bit beforehand and try to acclimatise herself and have a little bit of relaxation before the trip begins but I think you know it was just made very clear that she felt that that was very important for her to be there but she didn't want to um do the whole thing and so she so she didn't you know I mean she's 70 he's 69 I, I guess can you really blame them um but obviously Charles as the future head of state in Australia you know he's traveling around the country and it's very important for him to do that because there is a lot of debate in Australia about whether or not they should retain the British monarchy as head of state and same with New Zealand and certainly there's a lot of there's a lot of love for the Queen and and the fact that the Queen has reigned for so long is possibly one of the reasons that they have retained um, the monarchy for so long now will they want to do that when Charles comes in I don't know he's less popular than she is he's less popular than William is So, so he needs to work very hard with the Australian people and he is doing that been some quite fun moments been colorful kind of visits a lot of um seeing traditional welcomes and uh, he wore a very fetching headdress yesterday when he appeared arrived at the northern territory but his tour uh, does come to a close uh today i believe so and he's also coming home and there was also the moment that someone asked him whether he really does bring his toilet seat away with him, as was featured in the book, which yeah, got fairly short shrift. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, yeah, he was pretty can be pretty funny, Charles, when he wants to be. So he gave a good answer to that. Is he one of the royals? Does he come over in public as he really is? Do you think? Do you get a sense of that, or is, have you seen a different side of him at all when you've um, been dealing with him? I think Charles probably. <laughs> Some people would say he gets a bit of a raw deal because he is 
probably has a more I'd say more negative public image than perhaps is fair. He's he is he's very warm and accommodating on visits. He's he's he usually kind of says hello to the media to journalists, something that William Kate and Harry don't generally do. Camilla as well, she's super friendly. Um he, and he's and he does work a lot behind the scenes. He's constantly working, and people perhaps don't realise that you know, at sixty nine he is still working very very hard. Um, I, I don't. I think that there are also elements of his personality that are unappealing, and I don't think that the recent book was completely unfair in its portrayal of him as someone who is, you know, does sort of like his comforts does like things to be the way he wants them to be is used to that because he has been brought up as a royal and quite frankly when he first joined the royal family the times were very different this idea that they would be normal wasn't really a thing wasn't expected at all um so uh, yeah I, I he's i think he's a complex character actually i do think he's a very complex character it would be interesting to hear from any of our um, our listeners in Australia or New Zealand um, on Victoria's point earlier about what might what, what might happen in in the future. If you've got thoughts on that, then email us at podsavethequeen at trinitymirror.com and maybe we'll include it in a in a future episode. But we always like to get emails from our listeners, so do drop us a line about that or anything else. Anybody? Anywhere in the world. Um, finally, we've got to say uh, get well soon to Prince Philip. Yeah, we can't believe we did our podcast just before he went into hospital last week, so we haven't really been able to discuss this in great, great length, because now obviously it's all kind of thankfully kind of you know seems to be all kind of quite settled and he has had his hip replacement operation a big you know significant operation clearly at that age yeah i mean i mean the 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 concern is obviously a general anesthetic at that age and the you know the operation it will take some recovery but they clearly felt that it was the right option and they clearly wouldn't have done it if they didn't feel that he had something to gain from it and the hope eventually is obviously that he gets mobility back and gets you know the ability to kind of go about his daily life without the problems that he was having before I was told that it was bothering him for about a month we know that he pulled out of engagements but if you look even earlier than that remember the cenotaph he didn't look very happy at the cenotaph appearance in November he was leaning against the wall and it's clear that that was perhaps you know the beginning of these problems so it's fantastic that he has been able to have the surgery. And the Queen Mother had a hip replacement operation. Um, I believe she was 97. So he he could very well go on to have great use and be because he's walking up and about in six months. I don't think, from what I can understand, he'll be. It will take a while, I think, for him to get his full mobility back. Mm. He's still in hospital. The next thing we're expecting to hear will be an announcement that he's discharged so we, t- we talked last week about um him having having some issues and um frailty and how he would present himself at the wedding so for me i mean i, I don't know how long it will take to recover from this but if you are recovering from an operation being in a wheelchair is maybe less it's more understandable there's yeah. more of a reason for it than there's been no operation this is just a decline and frailty I completely agree and I think that we might see him in a wheelchair we might see him with a stick at the wedding I think he would very much want to be there and want to be seen to be there and wouldn't let that put him off um, but like you say had he not had the operation and and, we, and this would be interpreted as some kind of permanent situation I don't think he would like that at all because he's very proud so I, I completely agree I think he'll probably be perhaps be more willing to be seen in, in a wheelchair because there's a feeling that it 
that it might be a temporary thing. Um, but interesting, I'm sure when he leaves hospital, if, he'll, if we get to see him leave, which is not necessarily a given, we'll be told he's left, but we might not get an opportunity to see him leave as we have done in the past. I would be surprised if he's walking out of the hospital. So, yeah, so... In, yeah. My, in my head, the conversation with the doctor went something like, Doctor, I've not been able to drive my carriage <laughs> for several weeks now. What can you do? Yeah. Well, you can have an operation, but it's going to take you a really long time to recover and there's dangers, you know, you're, you're older and it's not necessarily... Like, how much problem is it actually giving you? Will I be able to drive my carriage afterwards? Well, yes, if it goes well and you make a recovery, yes, I'm doing it. Yeah. That, in my head, is what and, was happening. And actually, the, there was some information supplied by... Uh, surgeons and um, anaesthetists about these kinds of operations saying really actually physical condition has a lot more bears a lot more um, impact than age on your recovery and we know that he's in he is in good shape so well for someone of his age so you, you could maybe take 15 20 years off when you're looking at the average person so anyway we're glad it's gone well yeah. so far we wish we we wish you a speedy recovery sir and um, um I'm, I'm sure if you're in your hospital bed, what better thing to do than listen, listen to what to what the rest of your family have been up to and what we, what mean, we he, have made that, of it. I mean, I know Prince Philip. He was not going to be listening to a royal podcast. <laughs> Checking out the racing post, maybe, instead. <laughs> anyway, uh, we will. our time has run out for this week. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, do leave us a rating or a review. We love to um, have them. If you go to mirror.co.uk slash royalpodcast, it will take you straight through to the page where you can leave us a review um so thank you for joining us again victoria and we'll talk again next week but until then pod save the queen 